Welcome to another edition of the 3D Podcast Preview Edition. We got another game coming up tomorrow, Saturday, recording this on Friday, uh, against the Clippers. And with us to help us preview that, we got Lucas Hahn on from Clips Nation. What's going on, man? Not much, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, you know, we, we have another. First of all, I want to figure out why is this why is this game at 2.30 in the afternoon? That's what I need to know. Like, is there something going on at the Staples Center that, that, that evening, or is it, this is just the weirdest thing ever? Um, there's there's going to be something going on. It's either – I don't know if hockey started yet. Maybe the Lakers play. But, yeah, they put the Clippers in those matinee spots when the Kings or Lakers are playing. Ah, so they get the short end of the stick. <laughs> yeah, they it's basically like – they, they've got, like, third priority on the lease, which is why Steve Ballmer's been trying to get a new arena. But, yeah, it's actually – it's pretty normal for the Clippers. We play a lot of those um, – a lot of those weekend matinee games. Okay. So, normal for you guys, uh, very strange for, for the for the Grizzlies. I mentioned it's a 2.30 tip. Uh, that's uh, central time for us. So, uh, was that 12.30 for uh, for West Coast people? Yeah, 12.30. And, and I will say it made a lot – it was a lot more natural – when I lived in California and it was a 1230 tip because then it's like an, you know, afternoon matinee, right? right? Yeah, sure. But the three, the three thirty start now that I'm back here in New York just makes, just doesn't fit anywhere in the day. Right. It's gotta be brutal. And especially like, those West coast games for you. It's just weird. Yeah. It, it, it's very strange. It's just, it doesn't make sense. And it's gotta be brutal for you. Even having those, re- the, the night games for you must be, must be terrible. I mean, the, because I know, like for oh, us, we yeah. do when we do West Coast trips, they're not starting until nine o'clock, so not ten o'clock for you. That's just that doesn't sound fun at yeah. all. Yeah, or so a lot of them don't start till ten thirty, and so it's like ah, nah, that doesn't sound fun at all. Uh, but let's let's get, yeah. let's let's talk about uh, this Grizzlies Clippers matchup a little bit. Uh, the the Grizzlies and the Clippers, I think I wouldn't say. The Clippers, I don't know if the Clippers are surprising for your fans, but definitely the Grizzlies for our fans are definitely surprised at a 5-3 and three start. They dropped the last two in a row, which, uh, frankly, they, they, they probably should have won both because they were had double-digit leads uh, very late into the game and just kind of collapsed. But uh, nonetheless, here we are at 5-3. and three. Uh, are, the, are the Clippers fans surprised at the 5-2 and two start for you guys? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that they're surprised, but I think that they're pleased or maybe like a little bit of pleasant surprise. It's just they've had such a soft schedule so far. I mean, you look at the wins. Utah has been playing pretty poorly. They blew out the Lakers and the Suns and the Mavericks. The only really meaningful win that they have so far is that win in Portland. And then they lost to Detroit at home. They got blown out by the Warriors. So I'm not sure that we really know anything yet, or like that the Clippers have exceeded expectations because they had such a soft open. But you know, it is nice to win those games, but that's like, I feel like that's a really big contrast with the Grizzlies because you guys have come out, you beat the Rockets twice, you beat the Warriors already. And so this is a team that like a lot of people had dropping down to ninth or 10th in the conference and missing the playoffs. And you guys came out, and I mean, this is a huge surprise to me that you guys came out and won those games early and have kind of put yourself right back in the conversation. Yeah, it was uh, ours is probably a, a, con- a contrast to you. It was a very much, very much a surprise. I mean, there's a lot of people that, even myself, that were kind of down, not down on the scene, but just realized that the tools they had just probably weren't as good as they used to. And it's very a lot of unknowns for this team. A lot of young guys, um, you know, with Wayne Seldon and Ben McLemore and Tyreek Evans. Those guys are coming off injury, so it was a lot of unknowns. And so, you know, go out and beat the the Warriors, and you go out and beat the Rockets twice. Then you kind of go, huh. 
you know what? These guys might not be so bad. And and a lot of those wins have come when Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley haven't played well. Mike Conley hasn't played well all season long. And so a lot of those wins are coming when your two best guys really aren't even playing well. So it kind of gives you a little bit of hope for the future. Like, you know what? Like once you get Ben McLemore back from injury and, you know, Jamaica Green's been out with injury as well the whole all year. He got injured in the first game. So once you kind of get your core starting lineup back, you know, that's kind of you kind of look at it and see, you know, this might this might not be so bad after all. So a lot of those people that were writing them off as out of the playoffs, I think a lot of us have changed our changed our predictions pretty quickly already into the season. Um, I want to talk about a little, cause you guys, you guys changed very much at the Grizzlies. You guys changed with, with the loss of Chris Paul, uh, changed, uh, uh, out point guards with Pat Beverly. How is, how is Pat Beverly fitting into the Clippers scheme? How is he working out so far? Yeah, it's been a pretty interesting transition for the Clippers. I mean, defensively, it it is an upgrade defensively. I think even though Chris Paul is a tremendous defender, I do think Patrick Beverly, maybe just only because he has more energy to expend on that end because he's doing less on offense, I think he brings a little more to your team possession in, possession out defensively. But what's really been interesting offensively is that it's not a transition necessarily from Chris Paul to Patrick Beverly, but more from a Chris Paul, like, heliocentric universe, right, where, like, everything rotates around Chris Paul to now this really more open and collaborative style where the Clippers a lot of times have – three or four guys on the floor who are capable of dribbling the ball up, initiating the offense. And frankly, they're not running a lot of stuff. They're just playing. They're doing a lot of side screen roll, ball reversal, attack, drive and kick. And they're really looking to push the ball in transition, which is something that they didn't do with Chris Paul either. With Chris, it was a lot of really structured, structured sets. Here, tomorrow night, you might see the Clippers run something like out of horns a few times, but you're just not going to see a ton of, elaborate action like they used to have with the weak side flare screens for J.J. Redick and all that. It's a lot more open, up-tempo, spread offense. Yeah, I mean, that when you talk about the, the free-flowing offense, it, comes a lot, it reminds me a lot of the Grizzlies in, the, in their second unit. They have Tyreek Evans now uh, kind of leading that charge, and you know this as well as I know. Tyreek Evans is, is a ball stopper, but he can get you buckets. I mean, he, he, he looks off a lot of people, yeah. but he can get you buckets, and so – you know that's kind of where they brought him in to be is be that guy that kind of second unit guy but they don't they don't run a lot of stuff in the second unit they just kind of let those guys they just kind of let Tyreek make you know make plays you know drive and, and kind of draw on the defense and then kick it out and then just getting up and down the court and running running the floor so that reminds me a lot of kind of what the Wizards are trying to do um in the second unit and in the first unit they're just you know their defensive changed completely so it's not. It's it's as good as it was before, but I think it could be even better with the switching that they do now. Um, but so, with all that being said, all the changes is is Blake Griffin your primary score in this offense now? Yeah, Blake Griffin is the guy. Um, so he's the guy that that's getting the ball most. He's the guy that most of the action is working around. I mean, I think you can. The stats kind of tell the story in this case. We've got Blake averaging twenty three points a game, and then you've got four guys averaging between 12 and 14 points a game and then DeAndre at 10. So it's like Blake is the guy. And then it's really collaborative and shared between like Daniel Gallinari, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, Austin Rivers, all of those guys, you know, doing some of the creation and spots in certain lineups, but it's, it's definitely Blake is the main cog on the offensive end. I mean, he's leading the team in assists as well. Do you think that Blake Griffin's a legitimate MVP candidate? I don't think that 
he will put up the stats or the Clippers will put up the wins for him to really enter the conversation with like the Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Cause he's, I mean, Russell last year had to average like 30, 10 and 10 to win it. Blake Griffin's not going to average 30, 10 and 10, but I do think that he'll be pretty squarely inside a lot of like top six, top seven, top eight conversations where like, Hey, here's a guy who's worthy of recognition okay, now let's eliminate him and talk about the guys who are the legitimate MVP candidates, if that makes sense. That, that does make sense. It, it's it kind of it, it's kind of what probably more Marc Gasol is going to be. I mean, he's a good player, and, he, and, he's, and he's but he's not there. Like you said, he needs to be scoring and the numbers on a nightly basis to be that kind of MVP kind of actual for real talk. I mean, people might say, oh, well, he's, you know, he's a good player in passing, sort of, sort of like Blake Griffin. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's in that conversation. But when you really get down to it, like – the nuts and bolts of it, like yeah, he's 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 really not in that conversation. Um, you mentioned Blake. Yeah, I, I, we know we know who that conversation is going to be about, right? It's going to be about Steph and KD and LeBron and Kawhi, absolutely, and Harden and Westbrook. Like, and, and I just think that you know Blake might get a little more recognition than in years past because kind of the same thing with Conley and Gasol right now is it's like it's those two guys, you know, they're one A and one B almost, and it's been that way with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin for the last several years where it's hard for like one of them to get a ton of recognition because they're sharing the recognition of being on a good but not great team. Now Blake might get a little bit more because he's so clearly the number one main primary star, but I just don't, you know, like I just don't think that the numbers are going to be there. Yeah, I'll probably tend to agree with you. And you mentioned that Blake is obviously scoring 22 points a game now, which is which is big. I'm not sure what he was in the years past, and maybe you can let us know. But I also noticed on his stats, he's he's taking five and a half, almost five and a half threes a game, and he's making almost two and a half. Is that something that like is he legitimate three point threat now? I mean, I think from years ago he was just his jump shot did not look good at all. Now we're coming in, you know, four or five years later and he's taking a lot of threes and actually making, uh, making them at a, a decent rate. Is this a, is this a thing now? Yeah, it's absolutely a thing. And, and Blake's scoring average isn't too much up from in the past couple of years, but I also don't know that we've seen him. I think his average will end up higher than it is now. I think he's had a couple low key games or, you know, some games where he's kind of, coasted a little bit because the Clippers have had a few big blowout wins but yeah the three-point shot seems seems legit to me I'm not sure about the volume because five attempts is a lot of three-point shots um I'm, I don't I'm not sure that the volume will hold up or that the 43 percent will hold up but I could see him settling in at around three attempts a game at more like 36 38 percent and I think that that would be pretty sustainable his jumper has improved over the course of his career but part of the problem has been that he's always taking these 20, 21, 22 foot pick and pop shots where even though he's hitting an okay percentage of them, you know, we all know that the mid range shot is the least efficient shot in basketball. And so teams have been so willing to concede it. If he's going to shoot 44% from 20 feet, teams are just going to give you those 0.88 points per possession. They're just going to give it to you. But now that he's stepping behind the three point line and he's shooting 43% from three instead, He's, we're starting to see, especially in the last couple of games, that he's established it now. Because um, the first couple of games, I don't think teams trusted it. But now that he's established it, teams are actually starting to take that extra step out on his shot, which is letting him drive to the basket. So I think that as this jumper continues being more established, and I do think it's legitimate and he'll make them over the course of the season, as he keeps on making more of them, defender, defenders are going to keep putting their hands up and stepping out. 
and then his volume of attempts will actually decrease because it'll open up more opportunities for him to drive to the rim. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I was just about to talk to you about that. The 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 fact that once he's making quite a bit, if that opens up more spacing, you know, it, a lot of you see a lot of teams have a more of a traditional four, uh, you know, one in four out kind of offense, and with the Clippers with you know Blake and DeAndre out there, you guys have kind of two big guys, you know, regular post players, kind of like the Grizzlies did with with Mark and uh, Zebo for so long. Uh, but does that you know does that help create more open space in the offense? That the fact that Blake Griffin's stepping out the three point line now. Yeah, I don't think spacing has ever really been a problem in the Clippers' offense. You know, I think you probably hear a lot of talk about, oh, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan just aren't a good fit because. People just right. think you can't play two big inside guys anymore. But the Clippers have always been an elite offense, and they've always been better when those guys share the floor. So I, I've never really thought that it was an issue. But just in terms of making the overall offense better, yeah, I mean, of course it makes the overall offense better. I think it's something probably similar to what you guys saw a couple of years ago when Mark really started shooting three-pointers. Um, it just opens up the floor for everyone. It makes life that much easier easier on Mark makes life that much easier on everyone else. And I think that it's probably a good step for Blake to have finally taken in the year when Chris Paul is leaving because maybe the spacing would have been worse without Chris Paul and J.J. Redick now. And this kind of helps alleviate it a little bit. So you're saying J.J. Redick is a, gone is a good thing. <laughs> Um. All right. That's exactly what I said. Thank Ooh. you. Thank you for that. Okay. I just wanted to clarify for everybody out there. But no, <laughs> I, I get I get what you're I get what you're saying though. Um, how I, I want to talk a little, move a little bit to your guard play. Um, Austin Rivers is is uh, is he legitimate rotation guard for you guys? Um, I mean I I, I don't want to say I've never been real impressed with his game, but I mean is he legitimate a, a good starting? guard for you guys and legitimate rotation player? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think Austin Rivers is a starter in this league. Um, and I think that, that you know, I, I, I try to stay consistent. Um, I think this is pretty much what I've, how I felt all along. I don't think he's done much to change my perception. Um, I don't think he's a, he's a legit NBA starter. I do understand how he ends up starting because he, you know, he may be, he might be a top 60 guard in the NBA or he might be close enough to that range that he ends up being on a team where he's a starter. But I don't think it's necessarily a position for him to succeed, um, which is why I worry when he hits free agency that someone is going to overpay him and it'll be bad for them and bad for him because it's putting him in a spot, you know, where he's not in a position to succeed. I do think he's a really good backup um, at like a 24-minute range, 24-minute a night range. The Clippers have kind of a interesting guard situation where they don't you know Milos Tadosic had been starting and then he got hurt Austin is the obvious fill-in pick um but he's yeah he's a legitimate NBA player absolutely he's a legitimately good backup and we see him have even good performances as a starter you know um just in the last few games that he's been starting against Utah he had 16 points against Portland he had 16 points against Detroit he had 20 against Dallas he had 19 he really struggled against Golden State, but it's almost – I couldn't even be mad at him for having a bad game because he's trying to match up with Clay Thompson for, you know, 32 minutes, which is like you can only ask so much of a guy who, who's a limited player. But he, he's been good in these recent starts. Um, I think a lot of maybe the, the ire towards Austin 
comes from the fact that he's always been talked about as a point guard. And I've, I've just never watched him and seen a point guard. He doesn't have that vision first. He doesn't, he, he's not a great passer. He doesn't have a great vision. He doesn't get assists. And a lot of times he puts his head down and goes to the basket and will make a, you know, a bad play because he doesn't really see what's happening and he ends up in a tough spot around the rim. That's hardly a, a problem that's unique to him among scoring guards. Um, and he is, he is pretty efficient overall. So, yeah, I, I think he's a, he's a good player. He's a legitimate rotation player for this team. Him and the, whatever team he's on is probably better off if he's not in the starting lineup. But, you know, the Clippers are in a situation right now where they don't really have much of a choice. So he, he's doing – and he's been doing a, a good job, I think, in the starting lineup filling in. He did a good job filling in last season too. You you talk about Austin Rivers just kind of not really being a point guard. It reminds me of what people say the Grizzlies uh, fan base is – had always said for all summer that Tyreek Evans is coming to be here to be the you know backup ball handler, and this is uh, kind of before they got Mario Chalmers, but even still they said the same thing. And I would just I want to scream at everybody and just say he's not a point guard. Like he's not a point guard. He's never been listed as a point guard in his entire NBA career. What makes you think he's going to come be a point guard here? And yes, can he handle the ball in situations? Absolutely. You know Mike Conley didn't play last game, and so. You saw Tyreek as the as the backup ball handler, but you know he looks at the basket and looks off so many players that it's tough to call yourself a point guard when you don't really pass the ball. So, um, but yeah. you know, it reminds me a lot of 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 what you know people say about Tyreek and, and calling him a point guard, and, and he's not. He's he's a scoring guard, and he gets you buckets, and and that's what he does. Um, and also, you talked a little bit about Austin Rivers not really being a he's a French starter. That's kind of what Mario Chalmers is for the Grizzlies. I mean, he's He's the backup, and he had to start because Mike Conley was out last game. And, you know, I think a lot of people would probably say he cost the Grizzlies that last game because he had, like, three terrible decisions in the last minute of the game. You know, he's just not – Yeah, know, he's a good backup, but he's not a good – he's not a starter. And there are a lot of guys like this in the, that in the league that are that are great backups, but they're just not – they're not starters, especially point guards because they have the ball in their hands so much, and then they can lose the game for you pretty easily. Um but yeah, that yeah, that, yeah, it's a tricky situation because it's like, you know, with Mario in that game, can you really blame him? You know, he is who you thought he was. It's just the situation that the team is in. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so, yeah, you, yeah. I mean, that's the same thing with like the the Austin Rivers Clay Thompson matchup. Like, can you really blame Austin Rivers for having a bad game against Clay Thompson? Clay Thompson is just significantly better than him. Everybody has there. bad games so, against Clay Thompson. Like, everybody does. <laughs> so. That doesn't yeah. that doesn't surprise it shouldn't surprise anybody uh, if any fan base that everybody has bad <laughs> bad games against Clay Thompson. Uh, again, we're talking with Lucas Hahn, editor in chief at Clips Nation. You can follow him at Lucas J Hahn on Twitter. Um, I want to talk about your second unit. Who is the kind of the the primary scorer off the bench for the Clippers team? It's Lou Williams this year, and he's actually uh, you might remember from from our past conversations that. I was not a big Jamal Crawford fan. Yes. <laughs> and I didn't expect I didn't I did not expect to like Lou Williams because I thought it would kind of be a like for like swap. But I have really, really been impressed with Lou Williams through these first seven Clipper games. He's you know, I think he's probably he's a little more deliberate with what he does than Jamal is. Where Jamal a lot of times is backing up and doing the handles and whatever. And Lou is I think a little more direct at trying to just get buckets and not be be quite as flashy. He's also more efficient. He gets to the line. And he's done a really good job actually playing point guard. We're talking about guys who aren't point guards. Lou Williams is not a point guard. 
but he's been playing point guard with the second unit with Tay Dosich injured. And he's been doing a really good job getting guys involved. That unit has been pretty successful, you know, a little inconsistent, but that's, I mean, that's second units in the NBA, but he's been individually successful and he's been a big part of finding guys in a lineup where there aren't a lot of shot creators and getting other guys involved as well. So I've been really impressed with Lou Williams. Um, so hopefully, you know, you guys get get a little bit of a chance to see, to see what I'm talking about tomorrow night and tomorrow afternoon. Um, and he can, he can kind of show how he's running that unit. Cause it's not something that I would have thought he would be capable of coming in. So you mentioned, is it Tay Dosich? Is that, that's how you spell his last name? You, yeah. You guys, the, the, yeah. Tay Dosich. You, that's your rookie. Um, how confident are you that he's kind of the franchise, I guess, point guard, franchise guard for kind of going forward? I mean, do you like, how much do you like him? I know what I've seen from him just on highlights. And I was like, some of the passes they made, I was just, I couldn't believe the things that he was doing. Um, but I didn't, obviously I didn't watch every game, all game. What do you think of him and his future in the league? Well, he's already 30 years old. Um, having, you know, he's had a whole career, um, playing in Europe, playing in Russia, and he's, he has some lingering injury problems. So I'm not sure that he's going to be in the NBA for more than a few years. I mean, it, you know, he's the kind of guy who isn't dependent on his athleticism, so he could potentially stretch his career kind of in the way that Pablo Prigioni did. Um, but I'm not sure that he's, even though he's an amazing passer, I just don't know that he's a lead guard. A lot of times what you don't see in the highlight reel is what comes with the amazing passes that he makes, and they are some of, I mean, some of the best passes I've literally ever seen at any level in these highlight reels. But a lot of times that comes with what gets edited out is, him leaving his feet without having anywhere to go with the ball, him trying to throw like that, you know, underhand scoop full court pass and just under throwing it and getting it stolen. Um, him being not a, not a very great or attentive defender. So, so he definitely has some flaws. Um, I think it's probably a good pairing with Patrick Beverly, who's kind of the exact opposite of that. Doesn't really put himself out in a position to make mistakes on offense as often but also doesn't take as many creative chances and then can really cover for him on the defensive end. So I think that that's a pretty good pairing. Um, I really do. I really do like Tato, which I don't want to sell him short by discussing his flaws, but I'm not sure that I would consider him, you know, a franchise guard or even necessarily like a bona fide NBA starter until he gets a chance to get, kind of get healthy and prove that he's a bona fide NBA starter. I kind of have him, you know, another guy who's in like that, fringe starter range where he probably can start some games but he does have some pretty big holes in his game what uh what is his injury what, what's his injury when when do you guys expect him to have him back so it, it's really weird because i mean i guess i can't i can't really complain to you about this but <laughs> i guess our teams just have a lot of weird injuries right so so you know plantar fasciitis Mm-hmm. Yep. He has a plantar fascia injury. So he doesn't have plantar fasciitis. He just has an injury to that tendon on the bottom of the foot um, that some people get the chronic fasciitis from. And apparently he didn't tear it, so they can't just go fix it and then do rehab. He just did – he injured it. That's all they're saying. And they're not giving a timeline. So we really don't know. Um, we would hope to have him back sometime in December or January. Um, so it definitely is going to be, you know, at least a medium term injury where he's going to miss like six, eight, 
10 weeks. But other than that, we, we really, they're not giving very many clues. Um, he started riding a stationary bike again, which is good, but obviously doesn't mean much. Um, he's off of his little scooter and into a walking boot, which is good, but he's still in that walking boot. So we really don't have a lot of clues. Um, but hopefully, you know, hopefully he can come back and be the guy who he was. When he heard it, it was a non-contact injury. And the way that he went down holding like his ankle and his heel, I was really worried that it was going to be an Achilles because um, that's just how those injuries look sometimes. But hopefully he'll be able to have a comeback. Um, speaking of comebacks, I want to talk about Chandler Parsons a little bit because I know Parsons is a guy who really struggled last year and was considered like one of the worst you know, big contract signings of the summer coming in for the Grizzlies last season and not being able to do very much. But he's had a much more solid start this season. He's hit some shots. Um, you know, I keep seeing um, your buddy Joe Molinax on Twitter saying that the Grizzlies play so much better when he's playing and they win whenever he plays and they lose whenever he sits. So I'm interested to see, um, kind of get your thoughts on, on how he's playing and if this is like a resurgence, if maybe he is at a place where he could be the old Chandler Parsons again or if he's just becoming this kind of in a Sean Livingston way where Sean Livingston was never the old Sean Livingston again, but he was able to turn himself back into a useful NBA player. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been, I've been on um, the Chandler Barsons bandwagon since they signed him. I mean, I, I just know for what, you know, if you go back and look at that, where they, where the Grizzlies were when they signed Chandler Parsons, they, they did the right thing. I mean, there were other teams offering the same amount of money. They just, they did the right thing and it just, that's yeah, you know, bad luck, but I was a big fan of the move. Yeah, I mean it's 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 what you expect um, them to do. You want everybody said go out and get the best free agent you can, and they did that. Uh, but it just hasn't worked out. I mean, it's, he's been he's been injured a lot. I mean, obviously, I don't think we're ever going to see the Chandler Parsons that we saw. You know, drop ten threes um, on the Grizzlies. It just I don't think we're ever going to get back <laughs> to that. I just don't I just don't think his body will let him. You know, once people cut your knee open three or four times, it, it you know you lose something every time you you get your knee operated on. Every time you do that, you just you never you're never the same. I've had three injuries or three three ops on operations on my knee, and it just it, it hurts daily. You know, it's one of those things that you just go through life with now, and I, I can only imagine what he's what he's going through. So that being said, though, um, he's come back in season, and he's got actually, actually has some arc on his shot, which we saw last season, which just never happened. He was just. He front rimmed everything, um, and this actually he his shot looks his mechanics look better. He looks like he's actually jumping instead of kind of you know last year's season he didn't look like he was jumping with his with his legs. He looked like he was pushing it with his with his upper body, if that makes sense. And so he was front rimming a lot of those because there was no arc on his shot. But now he's actually you know jumping through his shot. So um, that's really really um, really really encouraging to see, and even more so he's playing. He's playing good defense. I mean, he's playing really good defense, um, and people aren't noticing that. And that's that's kind of a telltale. You know, you're moving laterally with those knees is, is really what you got to look for on defense as well. And he's playing way better than everybody expected. He's still on a minutes restriction, so you probably won't see more than 20 minutes from him on Saturday. They, they bump him up a little bit every few games. And so um, he also, from what I understand, is not playing back-to-back, so... There's a chance he might sit um, either the Clippers at Clippers at the Lakers game, so we're not real sure exactly. They haven't really said, so we're not real sure exactly what's happening there. But you know, for for what he is now, 
for you know, giving every, taking everything into account, he's playing well. He's playing really, really well because we've talked about before this before this season. You need him to go out and get you 12, 13 points a game, you know. And the other night, he dropped seven, six or seven threes in a game and just scored. I'm mean, just yeah. crazy. I mean, it was just crazy. It was like, oh my gosh, this could this could happen. So, you know, he did have a good game last time, but you know, neither did a lot of guys. So. It's encouraging to see him play like that. I think he can get back to some semblance of what he used to be. Um, he's never going to get back to what he was, but getting there, just making outside shots is what the Wizards need for him. So we'll see. I hopefully he um, hopefully he get back gets back to you know seventy five percent of what he once was, and I think most Wizards fans would take that for sure. Um, it's not. Yeah, I mean Chandler Parsons just he was. He was such an exciting player before, and so it's it's always a shame a guy who is so fun to watch then be injured and like you don't get to watch him anymore. Like that was my thing when Gordon Hayward got hurt at the beginning of the season. Like it's just going to suck to watch a full season and not get to watch any Gordon Hayward highlights this year. Um, there's just one more one more Grizzly who really intrigues me. Rookie that you got the 45th pick in draft, Dylan Brooks playing like 30 minutes a game for you guys and playing pretty well. I think what's interesting is that the Clippers have a guy too, Sindarius Thornwell, who they picked 48, who they've got playing in their rotation every night, not in the same role as Dylan Brooks, where you know, Brooks is playing like 30 minutes, Sindarius is we're seeing him more in like the 8 to 12 minute range. But I do think it's interesting that we've got two teams, perennial playoff teams, both figure to be playoff teams again this year, both have a guy that they picked in the 40s this year in the rotation. So what's been, you know, I think this will probably interest the Clippers fans because they've got, we've got a couple of interesting second round rookies on our team. So what's been the thing with like Dylan Brooks this year? How has he been able to earn all of those minutes and stay on the floor so much as a rookie being picked so late? First of all, let me let me start with this. With Dylan Brooks is is a real NBA player. I mean, there's a lot of second round picks that this this never pan out. A lot. Um, so he's yeah. definitely in the minority, and I think I've already had two of our podcasts named after Dylan Brooks already this season. So I'm a I'm a, I'm all in. Uh, I was all in at summer league though. I looked I watched him in summer league, and I was all in there. Um, but I got to see a little bit more than most people did. But um, yeah, he's a good player. He's a really good player. That being said, he's getting minutes because people are hurt. He's getting minutes because Ben McLemore, the Grizzlies' supposed starting two guard, is not is not healthy, and Wayne Selden, the supposed backup two guard, is not healthy. And so, um, you know, he's getting minutes because the Grizzlies just don't have a whole lot of bodies, especially at guard, uh, because, you know, Mike Conley didn't play last game. There's a chance, you know, Mike Conley could still have a sore Achilles on Saturday and not play. So, you know, he's getting 30, I think he played like 35, 36 minutes game last game. So he's getting those minutes because people are hurt. It'll be interesting to see when those guys get healthy in a couple of weeks and they come back to kind of the regular what was supposed starting lineup, what what will happen with Dylan Brooks. I don't think he'll fall out of the rotation because he's just proven to be too good as a rookie and you want to kind of develop that. But it'll be very interesting to see. I think he'll probably go back down to the 15 minute, you know, 12 to 15 minute a, a game range because those other guys will come in and just kind of, you know, they'll just kind of come in exactly what the Grizzlies signed them to be, starters. And so we'll see how that happens. Now, if those guys don't work out, It'll be even more interesting to see if Dylan Brooks, you know, comes and gets, you know, thirty minutes a game again. So we'll see. You know, the reason he's getting those minutes right now is because of injuries. Um, but it's giving him a chance to show this coaching staff, you know, this fan base exactly 
how good of an NBA player he is, and he's taken advantage of every opportunity he's given. So it'll be interesting to see for him, you know, what happens going forward, you know, the next couple of weeks when those guys get back, what happens with them. Um, I, I tend to think he'll probably stay in the rotation, not at what he is, but he'll probably definitely stay in the rotation, and you'll have some of those guys that are playing now uh, that shouldn't be starting like Andrew Harrison and Drew Martin fall out of the rotation just because, you know, they haven't done much of anything to prove that they really – you know, really deserve to be on the NBA court. So, Yeah, that, that's interesting. I think that's a pretty good parallel, actually, to the Thornwell situation, even though Thornwell is just doing it on a lesser scale because he really is only getting opportunities because Tay Dosich is injured. So, the, you know, it's hard to play three guards in the NBA for months at a time. You kind of need that fourth guard in the rotation. But he's just – every night he goes out there, and whether he has a good game or a bad game shooting the ball – he just shows that he belongs on an NBA court. He runs lanes well. You know, he draws fouls and uses his body well. He plays good defense. He fits in the team system on defense. And I think that, you know, really, really early in the season, especially for a coach like Doc Rivers who doesn't tend to trust rookies, Doc Rivers trusts him more than he trusts a guy like Sam Decker. And that's not even – I don't even think that's really up for debate. It's pretty apparent by how Doc Rivers has been managing games recently. So it's a similar thing where I think that, Thornwell probably will stay in the rotation in some way, even when Tay Dosich comes back, just because he clearly belongs on the NBA floor and Doc Rivers clearly trusts him. So, so that's another, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think it's kind of an interesting parallel between these two guys, which is why I wanted to bring it up. Both being picked, you know, in 40, just a few picks away from each other, both contributing to playoff teams in this stacked Western Conference really impressive um, for two guys in this range of the draft to be doing that so early. We see it sometimes, but normally it's someone who can, who is a flawed player, but can score like a Jordan Clarkson getting minutes on the Lakers as a rookie. We don't oftentimes see players that go in the forties actually contributing and belonging on the floor for playoff teams. So I think that's pretty impressive for both of these guys. Yeah. It, like it, like you mentioned, it's a very rare thing. Uh, I got people don't really understand how, how, often that does not happen for guys picked yeah. that late in the second round to go out, you know, to go and, and, and continually, uh, you know, right away, not, you know, not three months in the season, but, you know, first game, second game of the season contribute to teams that are expected to make the playoffs and that have, you know, parentally been, been very good. So, um, but I think that, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. I think we've, we've done a good job talking about uh, this Grizzlies yeah. Clippers matchup, man. I think we've given our fan base is everything they could probably need to know, unless you have anything else for me. No, I think I'm good. Fantastic, man. I, I Again, I appreciate you coming and joining us. Again, it's Lucas Hahn, editor at Eclipse Nation. You can follow him at Lucas J. Hahn. You can follow me at King underscore producer. Make sure you follow the pod at 3ndpod. Make sure you follow us or, or subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Mm-hmm.